God, Hebrews chapter 7. And so if you would, let's all stand. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read on through verse 10. So Hebrews 7, verses 1 through 10. Chapter, one, or chapter 7, verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the king and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually." Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take the tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their own brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham, and blessed him that had the promises." And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all of your grace and your goodness. ask now that you would just encourage hearts this morning. Help us. Uh, Lord, to understand this truth and this picture that you give to us in the Old Testament, bringing forth into the New, uh, Lord, just sharing with us the characteristics, the integrity, and the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, He is the King of righteousness, and He is the King of peace. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use the message just to stir us up this morning. Now, Father, uh, be with us. If there's one in our midst that does not know Christ and that free pardon of sin, I pray today that they would trust Jesus Christ to take their soul to heaven when they part this earth. And Lord, those that are here, may you use it just to stir our hearts and help us see this truth, Lord, and to use it and apply it to our own personal lives. Now, Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you now. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let me just kind of give you some highlights here. Of course, we're just preaching through the book of Hebrews, and we just reached this portion here in Hebrews chapter 7. And there's a man that's mentioned here. His name is Melchizedek. And uh, if, if it had not been brought forth into the New Testament, uh, we probably would never remember this name. And God, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, reached back in the Old Testament, brought a name forward from the Old Testament and brought it forward. This man, Melchizedek, and uh, he is the king of righteousness, the king of peace is the way he's described. He's only mentioned twice in the scriptures until you get here to Hebrews. And so in the Old Testament, he's mentioned twice. Once in Genesis 14, he's mentioned. And then the second time, he's mentioned in Psalm 110.4. And so you would not say that this gentleman, Melchizedek, uh, got top billing, if you would. <laughs> he would never be mentioned uh, had he not been mentioned by the power of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. What's unique about Melchizedek is this. Melchizedek uh, took on characteristics or held a position. Now you've got to remember this. This is before the law, before the law of Moses. He held a position of priest and king. That was unheard of after the law. You could not hold both offices. And so the Holy Spirit, in his wisdom, went back and pulled this man forward and reminded us that there was a man named Melchizedek, whom the promise who was given unto Abraham that the seed would come through his line 
paid tithes unto this man. So it's a picture of Jesus Christ, the King of Righteousness and the King of Peace. And we're very clear about that when you look at verse 3 in chapter 7. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God. This is not what they call a theophany or a, um, a uh, Christ in the Old Testament uh, making an appearance. That's not what Melchizedek is. Melchizedek is simply king and priest, and it was before the law. And so Abraham tied to this man. And so what God teaches us through the scriptures is this, is that this man whom Abraham tied unto, that the Levites, who were supposed to be taking the tithes from the people, actually tithe through Abraham, having still been in the loins of Abraham, not yet being born, but that they actually had done this in the same likeness as if Abraham, uh, or as if Levi had done it himself and paid tithes unto this man. So it's a pretty interesting story about a man that normally you would know nothing about, uh, yet God chose to use him to help express the importance of two things. Who Christ is, he's the righteousness, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, but also the subject matter of where our ties actually go. They go unto Christ and not unto man. And so let me share this with you with this wonderful picture that we see here. Uh, God in his infinite wisdom used the life of someone who receives only two mentions now, what I think about is this. If you'll turn with me in the New Testament, keep your finger there. Uh, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. I want you to look at a specific verse, and I want you to see how God works sometimes in even using someone like this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29. In 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29... But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things that are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now let me share with you, the reason I read that verse is this. God reminds us, and even having used Melchizedek in the Old Testament, Melchizedek could not glory in that. God used him to help demonstrate the character of Christ, king of righteousness, king of peace. The second thing is this. It's a lesson here in Hebrews back under the Pharisees and the rulers and the Sadducees as they read something like this in the New Testament to help them realize this very thing, and that is, is that God used some base things to bring forth truth at times. For the Pharisees believed in racial solidarity, and we'll get into that in just a moment, but the fact is, is that God took something so base and used it to bring forth a truth in the New Testament out of the Old Testament. Now, as we go into this, how do we make a practical application for this for ourselves? Well, I, what I thought about is, are you using the benefits provided by Christ through his righteousness and peace? Are you using the benefits provided to you? in that subject matter of righteousness and peace. And that's kind of where we're going to go with the message this morning. Now, God provides what we also cannot produce, and that's righteousness and peace. And I believe the benefits received by the believer are provided only through Christ. Christ provides the righteousness and peace, but Christ is also one that provided the promise that Abraham received. And then lastly, I want you to think about this. Not only is Christ righteousness and peace, not only did he give the promise, but he's the one that provided the blessing. And so we are blessed, and the less is blessed of the better, amen? And so we look at who Christ is, and we receive a blessing, not something that we do deserve, uh, uh, but something we do not deserve. He provides to us, and so the less is blessed of the better. 
And I want you to think about this this morning. The blessing of righteousness and peace in verses 1 through 3. Now, the whole purpose of this letter uh, to the Hebrews has been to demonstrate to them the need of turning unto Jesus Christ and not turn back to a sacrificial system. And so the whole time they're talking about in the book of Hebrews the superiority of Christ, how he's greater. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. And now he's even saying he's greater than Melchizedek. And uh, the reason is is because Christ not only held uh, uh, the office of uh, king of righteousness, but king of peace, but he's also a prophet. Amen? And so he's superior in all ways over this Melchizedek. Now, when Christ went to the cross, he took upon himself the sin of all men. And men must trust his sacrifice to get to heaven. We're not trusting in something that Melchizedek did in time past, but we're trusting in a Christ who died for our sin. Now, why is he the king of righteousness? Why is he the king of peace? Well, we want to look at that in just a moment here. What happens is the similarity between Melchizedek and Christ is only something God the Holy Spirit can do. And Melchizedek is uh, not this Old Testament appearance of Christ, but just a picture of what Christ is to us. Now, I believe it's clear this man held the position of king and the office of priest according to Genesis 14, 18. And here's what it says. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, the Savior came through the line of Abraham. So when reading these passages, it had great significance to the Jewish people because in their mind, they, they really only paid a lot of attention from the law forward. And so they're saying, well, uh, only Melchizedek was special, only this way. But what the Bible is teaching us is that Melchizedek was like unto the Son of God, holding both those positions. And so therefore, the Son of God is the King of Righteousness and the King of Peace. And for this, king and priest to bless Abraham and telling it to the Jews was to reinforce the superiority of Christ. Now, the Bible points out some very key characteristics of our Savior And I'm going to get you to turn in your Bibles here a little bit. I want you to see some verses. So if you'll turn with me to Isaiah 32, 17, I want you to see some key verses that will help us with this. Both in the Old and New Testament, we receive the blessing of righteousness and peace. Isaiah 32, 17, if you'll turn there with me. This is a very powerful verse in Isaiah. He said, and the work of righteousness shall be what? The work of righteousness shall be what, folks? Peace. Now watch. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Now, I want to tell you something. If you're saved, you understand that verse. If you're saved, it'll help you uh, see what God was saying. This is God in time past bringing something forward to us. Two things that he promised us here. Righteousness shall be peace. Now listen, when the righteousness of Christ falls upon us, that's during salvation. Amen? And so when I get saved, something happens. And I can assure you this, the day I got saved, a peace entered into my life that I did not have before. Amen? And now I have the assurance of that peace through Christ Jesus. He's the one that provided it. Now, here's this Melchizedek in the Old Testament, king of righteousness, king of peace. Here's Abraham who has the promise of Christ in him going and tithing unto this uh, priest and king. And listen, what happens is, is that we do the same thing. And by assurance, we can go and we can give our tithes. We can do what we do because we're not tithing unto a man. We're tithing unto Christ. Amen? And that's exactly what the scriptures are teaching us. I want you to turn to Psalm 8510. Psalm 8510. In Psalm 8510, the Bible says, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And I want to tell you this. 
Righteousness and peace could have never kissed each other had Christ not died for our sin. Amen? Those two things would have never met. (laughs) And I want to tell you, uh, there is a peace that passeth all understanding that shall keep your hearts and minds, but it's through Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, there is a peace provided to anyone who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, here's the thing. You say, well, if, if you have that peace, don't you still have problems? Yeah, I still have problems. But I have the peace of Christ in my life. Amen? Uh, don't you have trials in your life? I sure do. But I have the peace of Christ. And, and the thing of it is, is that these two met one day. And when did they meet? They met at the cross at Calvary. Amen? And when you look at this passage and he said, mercy and truth are met together, amen? I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ is truth. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is what, folks? Truth. Who is the word? Jesus Christ said, I am the word, right? And so I want you to understand this passage. Mercy and truth are met together. What Christ was giving to us that we did not deserve, and he was doing it by the power of his word, the truth, amen? And when he did, one day something happened here. And we look at this passage. He said, righteousness and peace have done something. What did they do? They got together, didn't they? They kissed each other. That's about as close as you can get. Amen? And so you see that happening. And so he's providing us something. Turn to Psalm 72, 7. Psalm 72, 7. In Psalm 72, 7, the Bible says, In his days shall the righteous flourish, and abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. In his days shall righteousness flourish. When you think about righteousness flourishing, you're saying, Pastor, man, things are tough. I mean, look at the world around us. Well, I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ hasn't come back again, and righteousness still exists, and that's through Jesus Christ. It's in the world today, and people get saved by the power and the righteousness of Christ. Amen? And so it still exists, and so it flourishes even unto this day. And then he goes on, an abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. The last time I looked, it was still standing there. Amen? And, and I'm telling you, as long as it's there, we do know what happens during the book of Revelation. We see those things starting to unfold in the book of Revelation, but right now, righteousness is still available on demand. Amen? The last verse I want you to look at is in the New Testament here in James 3, 17 and 18, if you'll look there with me. The Bible says in James 3, 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure than what, folks? Peaceable. And then if you jump down to verse 18, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. But the wisdom that cometh from above is first pure, then peaceable. What is that wisdom that really comes from above? That wisdom which cometh from above does not set well with mankind. That wisdom which cometh from above is very different than the wisdom of men. That wisdom which cometh from above said, I'm going to send my only begotten son as the savior of the world, and if man will believe in him, righteousness and peace shall be theirs. Amen? But here's the thing. Man doesn't want to accept that wisdom. But he goes on and he makes this statement, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Well, I want to tell you, when you got saved, God puts you in the business of reconciliation. Peace. And what we do is we bring to, uh, folks to God to reconcile them unto the Savior. God has put us in the peacemaking business. Amen? 
And what it is, is the peacemaking business is us reaching lost souls for Christ through that king of righteousness, through that king of peace, and we bring folks to him that they might know this truth and trust Christ as Savior. Of course, God's purpose for his people is that they bear the peaceable fruit of righteousness according to Hebrews 12, 10, and 11. That we bear that fruit, that we do something about it, that we bring forth uh, folks that they might get saved and understand this truth and this righteousness. Now, true peace can be experienced only on the basis of righteousness. And if we want to enjoy peace with God, you must be justified. You must be declared righteous by faith. In Romans 5.1, the Bible teaches us a very simple principle, and this is that. You cannot be justified before God on your own behalf by your own merit, by your own ways or your own will. The only way that you can be declared righteous is by you trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now listen to me. The only way you can be declared righteous, are you listening to me, is by the King of Righteousness. Amen? And the King of Righteousness is the one that brings peace between you and God. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you are not at peace with God. You have to trust Jesus Christ to be at peace with God. You say, well, I'm at peace with it myself. Listen, you can't do it yourself. You have to trust the King of Righteousness and the King of Peace. Amen? You have to trust Jesus Christ to take your soul to heaven. You can do nothing about it, but he has done everything for it, and he wants you to trust him. Now, man cannot produce righteousness by keeping the Old Testament law. I want you to turn to another passage, Galatians 2.21. If you'll turn there, Galatians 2.21, I want you to see this. Galatians 2.21. The Bible says in Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in what? Vain. Empty. There's nothing to it. But Christ didn't die in vain, did he? What this passage is teaching us is that if righteousness come by the things that I can do, then why did Christ have to die? There's an emptiness there, isn't there? There's no value in it. And yet God's reminding us through the book of Galatians, he says, hey, listen, I don't want to frustrate the grace of God. In other words, I, I, I don't want to create havoc and anger and a problem and, and, and cause tension here. But what I'm trying to share with you is this one thing. There's but one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. And so Paul kind of emphasizes that there in the book of Galatians. And it's only through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that righteousness and peace could have kissed each other. And this priest, it says, abides continually. It's interesting about Melchizedek. It's not that he didn't have a mother and a father, but it's not recorded. Now, I want to tell you something. That meant something to the Jews, didn't it? To have your heritage, your lineage, your background, all of that mattered. But isn't this amazing that the Holy Spirit of God takes this man from the Old Testament, brings him forth, and there's no record no account of his birth and there's no record or no account of his death. Do you know why? Jesus Christ lived eternity past and lives eternity future. Amen. And it's a picture of who Christ is. And so God uses this man to bring forth this message. No beginning, no ending. A type or a like unto the Son of God. Letting the Jews know that the blessing of righteousness and peace only come through Christ and not the law. Secondly is this. We receive the promise to Abraham through Christ. The blessing to the one of promises. Abraham had the seed of promise in him, and yet he tithed unto this man. And in so doing, even the priest, yet future, tithed to Abraham. 
That's hard to gather in my mind. But what he's saying is, is that God was going to send up a system yet future. He was going to set up the law, this Levitical system. And when he did, the people would come and tithe to Levi. Levi wouldn't tithe to the people. And yet Abraham ties unto this man. And when you think about this, the Jews believed in this racial solidarity. <clears throat> and this is just an example of paying tithes involved not just the patriarch Abraham, but also those unborn generations paid tithes unto this man. That's an amazing thought, but that's how they believed. And in so doing, uh, the aspect of solidarity is an individual act is never individual. All others are always affected. That's their idea. Well, there's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? When you take action sometimes, sometimes it affects a lot of other people when you're not thinking about it. But the fact is, is that they really believe strongly in this. So whenever you have the writer of Hebrews telling these Hebrew people this message, they're standing there thinking to themselves, well, wait a minute here. <laughs> There's some merit to what he's saying. There's some merit to this. Why would Abraham tithe unto this man? What would be the purpose in that? And so Levi, not yet born, tithe unto Melchizedek. Boy, the reasoning of God is amazing, isn't it? And you look at this and you see this in the Scriptures. The promise of the coming Messiah was through Abraham, and yet Abraham tithe unto this priest and king. This was to set a precedent once the law had passed through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There was a new covenant made. There was a new situation that had arisen. There was a new thing coming on the scene. And what it is, now get in your minds this, they were wanting to go back into a sacrificial system. God had already established the local church now, hadn't he? So there was no need to make sacrifices anymore, right? And so what is it that they wanted to go do? And so they're trying to bring them forward to this time and say, listen, we're in the church age now. It's very different than it had been in time past. There's a new covenant. The final sacrifice has already been made. What we do with our tithes and our offerings now is we take them into the storehouse, we bring them into God's house, and we give them unto God's house. And we bring those in, and we do that by faith in Christ Jesus. You don't tithe under Pastor Warnick, nor do you really tithe to Calvary. Your tithes go unto the Lord, and for the work of the Lord, and for the things that God wants to accomplish. And so that's the purpose in it. Then did Christ, in fact, tithe to Melchizedek? No, he didn't. Why didn't Christ uh, then tithe unto Melchizedek? You see, the writer of Hebrews is not a fool. He knew exactly what he was doing. He's being by, guided by the hand of the Holy Spirit of God. So why did he not? Well, did Christ have an earthly father? Well, he had uh, Joseph, did he not? But was Joseph actually his father, or was God the father his father? Amen? So in fact, he didn't go through the line of Joseph in that. And Joseph, Abraham, just for his earthly ministry, he was tied to him in the heritage in that sense. But Mary was a virgin, was she not? The seed of Christ was planted in her. It didn't come by way of Joseph. And so when you think about this, Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. And since Christ existed before Abraham, he said in John 8, 58, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, what is it? I M. No, he did not tithe <laughs> to that king of righteousness and to that king of peace. But what is it a picture of? What we're supposed to be doing. It's a picture of what God desires for us to do. Jesus could not have been in Abraham, as were Aaron and his family. And the blessing went to the one of promise, which was Abraham and the generations to come. 
Now, Melchizedek was used to allow Abraham to demonstrate his faith by tithing unto him. And God has used that, and he's using it for you and I to tithe unto the local church as a demonstration of our faith today. For Christ died for us as a local body of believers, and our tithe is to go to a local body that we are a member of. And a lot of people ask me this question all the time. Would it be okay if I tithe somewhere else? No, it wouldn't be okay if you tithe somewhere else. If you're a part of this body, you're to tithe here. If you're a member of Calvary, this is where you tithe. You don't send your tithe elsewhere because God placed you in this body of believers, not in another body of believers. And so your tithe is to come in here. And so for Christ, he died for us as a local body of believers, and our tithe is to go to the local body that we're a member of, and we give it by faith. Now, to benefit from this promise, we give by faith unto the church. God has placed us in as a member. And so by faith, I give. I tithe. I pray you tithe. And when I tithe, I give by faith. I know God told me to do this. And so, therefore, that's the purpose in it. And it shows or demonstrates what God has called us to. He's told us that we're, we can keep 90% of everything that we have and only 10% of it uh, do we tithe unto the house of God. And you say, what does that uh, come from? Well, it says Abraham tithe a tenth part of how much? All. So it comes from my gross and not my net. And a lot of people tithe from their net and not their gross. And God says to tithe from a tenth part of all that we have. Now, our gift of salvation in Christ should bring about a heart of giving as well. If you look at verse 7, he says, And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. It's an amazing passage, folks. The Lord wanted the Jews and us to see that this is not a contradiction, but a picture for the Jews to view of how they now are blessed of Christ, the one crucified for them. And you think about it, Christ all God and Christ all man. Die that those of us who are without hope now have hope because he was willing to make the sacrifice. And I, I look at this and it's such a beautiful picture of the less being blessed to the better, amen? Now I want you to think about this. Is Christ better than us? Amen? Are we the less? Is he the better? And have we been blessed by him? And the less is blessed of the what, folks? Better. Isn't that an amazing thought? And, and, and I look at this and the cross and the crucifixion of Christ was not an honorable death. And how he died was not an honorable way to die. And they, do you remember the Pharisees walking by? Uh, he could save others. He cannot save him what? Himself. Think of the mockery and the things that he went through while he was hanging on the cross. And yet he stayed up there even for the one that made that comment. Are you with me? And the less is blessed of the what? Better, are they not? And you think about what he did on the cross that day. Did any of those people out there that crucified him deserve that? Absolutely not. Nor do we deserve it. But are we blessed of the better? <laughs> you see, what happened this day and what he's doing is he's bringing this all back around. And of course, he's tying it into tithing. And God used the patriarch, faithful Abraham, to tithe unto one who seemingly could not give the blessing. But Abraham received the blessing from Melchizedek. I want you to understand something. When he hung on that cross, that was not an honorable death. In fact, that was a very cruel way and, and, and a very dishonorable way to die. And yet, the less, us, are blessed of the what? Better. And you look at his situation and he hang on that cross. Why? Because he knew when he did, it would bring righteousness and peace unto men. Would it not? And so... 
All of this ties together into this. Now, the cross and the crucifixion of Christ was not that honorable death. And yet the blessing of salvation came to us through the one who seemingly had no power, yet became the sacrifice that we might have eternal life. You say, preacher, what's eternal life? Well, the Bible talks about salvation, being saved, eternal life, everlasting life. And the Bible teaches us, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. But it comes through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to obtain it. And so the, the Hebrews here were thinking, well, we, we want to go back to a sacrificial system. We want something that we can see, we can observe, we can do. They want to be a part of something. And yet God said, no. <laughs> Let me share with you, the less has been blessed of the better. Amen? And those of us that do not deserve, he's providing it. Now, through the actions of Christ, all men can get saved, but not all men are saved. All men can get saved. God desires that, that, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, but not all come to repentance. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but because he gave his only begotten son doesn't mean that everybody's saved. And just because he loved the world doesn't mean the world loves him. <coughs> so what is he teaching us? There's an opportunity. There is a means. There's a way to be reconciled unto God. And what he's providing unto us is this king of righteousness, this king of peace. Holy Spirit goes back in the Old Testament, brings it forth to help demonstrate the character of God. He's talking to these Hebrews and he's saying, hey, listen, I want you to understand this truth. There is no other way to be blessed than by the mere fact that you have to trust what this son of God did for you. Now, having said that, through the actions of Christ, all men can be saved, but not all men are saved, though the less is capable of being blessed of the better. And here he said the less is blessed of the better, and we are, but they have to make a choice, don't they? And you can't get saved, folks, after you die. Do you understand? There's no way you're getting saved after you part this earth. There is an opportunity now to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. To get to heaven, you can do nothing in and of yourself to get there. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. These people wanted to go back into a sacrificial system. They wanted to go back into a works-based faith. And I'm here to share with you this morning, there is nothing you can do to obtain that righteousness and peace but to trust the one who provided it. Amen. And he is the one that can bless you, and he can bless you with eternal security, eternal life, uh, salvation, uh, that idea of living with God forever in heaven. Listen, it doesn't come through communion. It doesn't come through baptism. It doesn't come through the fact that your name is on a church roll. It comes by and alone through Jesus Christ. Amen? And so there's no other way to obtain this and for the less to be blessed of the better, it's there, and you are capable of being saved, but you have to trust Jesus Christ to do that for you. Now, bring this back around to tithing is what he does. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, in bringing this back around to tithing, be aware that your tithes are truly unto the Lord and not to man. And this is the message the writer was communicating to the people. You're no longer bringing things in in that manner. You know, this isn't for you to give to men. This is for you to give to God. And Abraham gave a tenth part of all. 
And we're to give a tenth part of all. And, and listen, this king of righteousness, this king of peace, that's who you're giving it unto. You're not giving it unto a person. You're giving it unto God. And regardless of your status, you can come unto Christ who died in the most dishonorable way and sacrificed himself. And he is now our eternal priest continually. And we'll get into this later on as we go through the book of Hebrews here. But you'll find Jesus Christ is sitting on the right hand of the Father. He's there on our behalf right now. If you're a saved individual, he is a priest continually. He's always there. And by the way, you can go to him anytime you choose to. You don't have to go speak unto someone else. You can drop to your knees and speak unto Christ. Isn't that wonderful? I don't have to go to another man to confess my sin. <laughs> the Bible clearly teaches me if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I see no one there between me and him. It is me being able to come unto him with an open heart and share with him. Listen, folks, there are systems out here, but you need to read your Bible. And there are people that believe in religious practices, but you need to know the truth. And those religious practices will save no man. But what will save the soul of a man is Jesus Christ, the one who died for them. Now, regardless of your status, you can come unto Christ. He is alive, he's on the right hand of the Father, and is superior to the Levitical priesthood and the Melchizedek, and is a portrait of the, of the Messiah to come. And that's all Melchizedek was. Just the character that he possessed was just a picture of him yet future. Now, what does it take? Trusting in Christ takes faith, doesn't it? I remember the day that I got saved, October 12, 1995. I remember where I was, and I remember that moment in time. And I'm not saying this happens for everybody, but I'm just simply sharing with you. I had been witness to for a long time. Since I was 12 years old, I can recall back when I was 12 being witness to. And I can carry that forward. And I know multiple times I can recall whenever someone shared the gospel with me. But there came a day when God actually got a hold of me. And I remember on October 12, 1995, it was a very different situation for me. And for the first time having heard that message multiple times, having sat in services, having heard that message preached over and over, sitting at Brother Howes' church when I was just a young kid, and, and sitting on that front row, listening to that, that man preach some of the very things that I have preached in this church. And, and the thing of it is, is that I never got it. And I turned 30 years old. And all of a sudden, it clicked in my mind. I was going to die and go to hell. Now, I want to tell you, I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. Amen? Some people get saved because heaven's beautiful. I got saved because hell looked hot to me. Amen? And when I looked at that and I thought, what am I doing? And at that moment in time, it, you know, you, you look in the Bible, it talks about turn your eyes upon Jesus. Uh, there's there's uh, songs that talk about the scales being removed from my eyes. In a moment in time, God finally opened my eyes to something I could not see. I can't explain how it happened, but I know it did. And all of a sudden, I realized that there was only one way that I was going to go to heaven. <laughs> and I had to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. Now, I want to tell you, knowing Christ is not knowing about Him. Knowing Christ is having a personal relationship with Him. Do you understand that this Hebrew writer was talking that, listen, you Pharisees, you Sadducees, you rulers, you have this knowledge... You even have this knowledge about this Melchizedek. But let me tell you who he really was. And let me tell you, the man who had the promise was the less blessed of the better, amen? 
And what is offered to you is this same thing. And what you want to do is you want to go backwards into this sacrificial system, and yet God's providing you a way that you no longer have to do that. And when we look at this, trusting Christ takes faith. And even faithful Abraham tithed unto Melchizedek and believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, and he became the friend of God. Amen? I want to tell you that to become the friend of God, you must know his son, Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about knowing about him. I'm talking about the sheer fact that you trust in your heart, you believe that God raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For the wages of sin, that's a singular word. That's not plural. That means our nature. What is sending men and women and children to hell is our nature. What we are, not what we do. And we confuse that even as independent Baptists. And, and sometimes we just want people to stop doing things. And the reality is, is what they need to be saved from is their nature, what they are. And if they get changed from what they are and become a new creature in Christ, the things that they used to do, they will no longer want to do. Amen? And when you think about it, after you get saved, the Bible says if we now confess our sins, it becomes plural, doesn't it? Because we're sinners saved by grace. <laughs> God says, when those enter into your life, you have a relationship with me now. You have knowledge of me. That word knowledge is you have a relationship, amen? Listen, I know you know my wife. You know her by name, but I know my wife, amen? There's a real, intimate, personal relationship there. That is the same word that God uses about your relationship with Jesus Christ, that you know Him, and that has a personal, personal relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, when you think about this, righteousness and peace, true peace, can be experienced only on the basis of righteousness. And if you want to enjoy peace with God, you must be justified or declared righteous by faith. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5, and I'll finish with this. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You see, it takes faith to believe Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Amen. It takes faith to believe that. But when you come to that place, when God gives you that knowledge, that relationship, you'll see your whole mind changes. When you open the scriptures, it'll be with a renewed mind. And listen, if you're here and you're saved and you say, well, preacher, man, I've been struggling in my Christian life. I know I'm saved. I want to tell you something. Get alone with God. Amen. Get alone with him. Talk to him. Tell him that you're struggling. Tell him that you feel beaten down. Tell him that you're having a hard time. Tell him that even when you're reading his word, you're struggling through it. Tell him those things. But listen, we have a king of righteousness and a king of peace. Amen? And he's there to listen unto you. 
And listen, the less will be blessed to the better. I don't believe that's only in salvation. I believe that's in every aspect of our life. He's there to help us. Amen? And I want you to just check this. There's a blessing that comes. Because he says here, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What a blessing that we have a God who has not only told us that he's there for us, but he's made some promises to us, has he not? And do you know his promises fail not? And when I look at this, this is a promise to me, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. You know, that, that idea of stand means to be firm, to, to hold to. You Are you with me? And I can hold on to Jesus Christ, amen? There, there's something firm there that I can hold on to. Now listen to what he says at the end of this verse. And he says this. He, he, he makes this statement, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, listen, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your hardships, regardless of what you're going through, you can rejoice in God. You can rejoice in Christ Jesus. So, well, why? Because He is your King of righteousness. Amen? He is your King of peace. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Lord, even